coming to you from Corwell Health. This is your house call. Are you thinking of traveling this year? If so, you are not alone. The U.S. Travel Association has forecasted that domestic leisure travel is returning to pre-pandemic levels this year. International travel is also showing signs of recovery, though it remains below pre-pandemic levels. So, if you're thinking of traveling, whether foreign or domestic, business or pleasure, keep it here. The House Call Podcast has the latest on how to stay safe and healthy on your next journey. Hello and welcome to the House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin. And I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. And our goal is to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. Today's episode is all about travel-related topics. Asha and I will cover a range of things such as some of the latest CDC recommendations, tips for traveling safely, whether by land, sea, or air, and some things you might consider packing that may be otherwise difficult to get elsewhere on your journey. We'll also talk about some of the many benefits of travel and how avoiding travel the last few years during the pandemic has probably taken a toll on us more than we might realize. So with that, let's go ahead and get into it. All right, one thing I want to mention is that we have treaded on this topic before. We did a travel health podcast with uh, an infectious disease specialist, Dr. Joel Fishbane, one of my colleagues back in 2019. And in that episode, um, we did cover a lot of the, the touchstones of travel medicine. So that was sort of the uh, the the what to expect if you're visiting a travel clinic, such as things like vaccines for travel, when you should go to a travel medicine clinic, and so on. A lot of good information in that pod. Um, I would encourage you to go back and give that one a listen if you have not heard it yet, and that information is still very much applicable. And Asha, one of the things that we talked about in that pod um, that I still think rings true today is that people um, who are traveling should know where to get the latest and greatest information, travel recommendations yep. for whatever a given destination might be. And I'm sure this is something that you come across often as a PCP. Um, what do you say to your patients, your friends, or others who are asking advice about traveling? Yeah, so one of the things is, is like, this CDC has a has a website um, that actually does is like dedicated to travel cdc.gov slash travel. And if you go there, you can type in whatever destination you're going to if it's a country state, whatever it is, and they kind of give you the up to date guidelines of things that you should be aware of. The other thing I tell people to do also is to look at travel.state.gov. And that's because the CDC is more looking at like health risks, you know, things if there's typhoid, cholera, um, a breakout, things like that. But travel.state.gov does also talk about things that are hazardous, such as, you know, if there's like a civil war in the area or if there's bioterrorism. So actually, I was planning to go to Columbia um last year and i was like oh i want to go to columbia it looks great and have great food whatever and you know i look at cdc and i think they had their um covid numbers were a little bit high and i was like mm, okay well i'm vaccinated i think i should be okay but then i when i went to travel.state.gov it was like do not go there are like there's a civil war going on there's some terrorist activities like not a good idea so then i actually changed plans so always make sure you check out both of those websites yeah, I think it's great advice. And I actually want to take a second here. So I've, I've got my handy dandy uh, laptop pulled up. And if you go to cdc.gov slash travel, I got to say, this is pretty slick. You can actually type in whatever your destination might be. And so I'm going to 
sort of selfishly type in Peru because this is a place that I've wanted to go for. Are you going to Machu Picchu? I would love to go to Machu Picchu. I, I, however, I'll, for, for reasons I will state in just a moment, that's an area that I'm, I'm currently avoiding um, for, for uh, some, I guess we'll say geopolitical reasons. But if you go on CDC and you type in Peru, the next page that comes up really tells you if there's any travel health notices in the area. So right now they are experiencing some dengue fever, okay. um, which not is not a, not unusual for that part of the world. And so it is a level one uh, practice usual precautions uh, type of a situation. But then below that, it talks about all of the different vaccines uh, that you should have prior to traveling to this area. And it even gets into the weeds a little bit with specific locations. Like, for example, should you take malaria prophylaxis or not? It'll say, you know, there's country-specific information. If you're going to be in higher altitude areas, it's less important than if you're going to be in sort of the lower parts of the country and so on. So I guess the, the to punctuate this, um, lots of really good, valuable information on here um, and even country-specific recommendations. Mm -hmm. And the other recommendation you mentioned is the travel.state.gov, which is the U.S. State Department. Same thing. A um, couple things about this website. One is you can enroll in uh, this program called STEP. And let's see, STEP yeah, stands STEP's for good. Yeah. Yeah, the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. The idea here is that you're, you're, you're getting your name on a list that will be available to the embassy. So they'll have your contact information. If there's an emergency, they can contact you. And also they will send you travel specific information. Alerts and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. If something changes between now and when you decide to travel, you'll have that information. So keeping it with Peru, just for, for kicks, let's go to Peru's uh, State Department travel information. And I'm not picking on Peru, but this is a place I would love to visit. And right now it's a level two travel advisory. They're saying exercise extreme caution uh, due to crime, civil unrest, and the possibility of kidnapping. So, you know, these are just things I think it's important to keep an eye on for prospective travelers. Um, there's demonstrations around the embassies in different parts of the country. So for that reason, I think we're going to just hold off on visiting Peru until things cool off a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I think some of the other things to look at, too, is so, you know, we're talking about CDC guidelines, travel um, state guidelines. But I think now with, you know, forest fires yes. happening, not only in Canada, but like there's wildfires in Greece now. I mean, you want to kind of look at the weather patterns and some of the environmental hazards that are happening. Like Italy has a huge heat advisory going on right now. And in Sicily, I think it was 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And Crazy. I've been to Sicily. That is not dry heat. Like that is like, yeah. that is a different kind of, that, that's, it's, that's very, very hot. Um, and so looking at things like, or even if you're local, going to Arizona or Texas or something, like there's a lot of heat advisories and we can talk about some tips to to avoid having like heat exhaustion or heat stroke. But I do have like a, a not funny story, a terrible story about when I went to Rome. And what happened was I was in line to go to the Colosseum. And so mind you, Italy, what do they do? Wine at every meal. <laughs> Espresso, cappuccino. I mean, you are, you have to ask for water sometimes. So you're right. kind of dehydrated already. <laughs> it was July and it was over, you know, 85 plus degrees. I think heat index was over 95 degrees. And you're standing in line, unshaded area. And I started feeling nauseous. I started feeling dizzy. I started having a headache. And I was like, oh, did I eat something? Like what happened? I was sweating. My hands were clammy. Um, I actually had to 
get out of line, which by the way, line is very long. So it's like, oh, do I get out of line? Do I not get on the line? I go to the bathroom and there's another line and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to puke. Okay, long story short, I make it into the bathroom, but I puke into the garbage can. Oh. And I am totally out of it at this point. Like I, if, all I remember was someone said, hello, I'm American. I'm an ER doctor. I'm going to put this cold cloth on the back of your neck and cool your body temperature down. Oh, wow. I call her my travel angel. And since that point of time, I've always told myself, okay, keep a bottle of water with you. Yeah. If water's not around, if there's those drinking fountains, try to keep your wrist cool, splash water on your face. You start feeling a little headache, nausea, that kind of stuff that is a sign of heat exhaustion. Talked about also like if you're already thirsty, it's a little too late. You want to keep yourself hydrated. Um, and I try to be a travel angel to other people too when I see that they're kind of red in the face, hot, tired, looking a little exhausted. So that's my lesson of heat exhaustion when I was traveling to a very, very hot place. But Nick, maybe we can talk a little bit about some ways to stay um, safe in like heat heat areas. You know, like right now, the big alert is like Texas, Arizona. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's everywhere right now, but certainly affecting the continental U.S. Um, a lot of air, you know, summertime in general tends to be a popular time for folks to travel. Kids are out of school. A lot of places in the country, it's it's actually cheaper to travel in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, it's low season in a lot of places, especially some of these places that really get the high temperatures. So if you're going to go visit the national parks, um, you know, down in the southwest, if you're going to go to Arizona, if you're going to go to Utah, right now it is hotter than blue blazes. <laughs> and I think, you know, the best advice I can give is someone who has done some adventure travel um, and some outdoor stuff. If you're going to do the, do a trip like that, you might have booked this trip three, four months ago. You didn't know it was going to be 120 right. degrees in your destination. That's not something you have a tremendous amount of control over. But what you can control is, like you said, how much water you bring, what time you do some of your excursions, right? Try to plan some of your activities in the not hot parts of the day. Right. That might mean you got to get out of bed at five in the morning and go do that hike you wanted to do. Yeah. But hey, man, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the way it, it has to be. Otherwise, you're going to be out in the hot of the day and th that ain't good. Yeah. Some people even say that to bring a small little travel fan with you, especially if you're standing in line for like, let's say, Cedar Point or some of these amusement parks. Mm -hmm. If you're in a car and let's say you've got black leather seats, it can carry like a like a white towel to cover your seats. It kind of helps with the heat absorption. And then also like those seatbelts can get really, really hot, too. So those are some things. And like you said, I think, uh, again, is planning or maybe rearranging your travel too because you're like hey i'm going to utah i want to hike all day well right. maybe it's time to jump in the pool exactly. uh, do some other relaxation activities and then plan the hikes accordingly yeah it may not be the itinerary that you dreamed of right because you may find that you're spending a big chunk of your day indoors but it's the smart move you know this heat can kill you fast and yeah. we read articles every day about a traveler in california a traveler in in uh, arizona who's got star car broke down on the side of the road and they yeah. tried to walk two miles. And, you know, those are the kind of things that really make you pay attention. The other thing is, so we're talking about heat. Okay, let's talk about those wildfires. So mm. the wildfires happening, it, you don't even have to be in Canada. I mean, there were people were in New York City, and they were having trouble with the air quality. So um, air quality is something to consider when you're traveling. So always look at kind of the air quality index, you can find that online, and look at what the zone is, because you might want to, if you are asthmatic, or you have COPD, bring your inhaler, you know, maybe get a script of steroids if you need to before you go. Those are things to kind of keep in mind. Like I have no asthma and really no respiratory problems. But when I traveled to Mexico City or to um, India, 
I did have some trouble breathing. Mm. I did develop like a cough. Um, so those are things where, you know, it might not be a bad idea to carry a mask with you if you're in a really heavy uh, polluted area. It just will help you feel better and not feel so sick. So those are some other things to keep in mind. Look at the air quality index as well of the place that you are traveling to. Yeah, and everything I'm reading, Asha, is that this is not going away anytime soon, right? Yeah. This is going to unfortunately, probably it's going to be the way of the summer and, and it could even be you know beyond this summer. We could continue to see this smoke from the wildfires continue to try to kind of drift around the U.S. And absolutely, in addition to the many other things, the CDC website, you know, the State Department website, yeah, I agree. Keep an eye on what's going on with the local forecasts. If you're taking a road trip, if you're taking a trip by plane or by uh, or by boat, you know, there's different ways that you can sort of plot your, your journey to make sure that you're avoiding any uh, difficult spots. Two things I wanted to bring up also is like, okay, if you are doing a road trip and maybe sunshades are good for the car, um, and then the other thing is if you are planning travel abroad, not every hotel has air conditioning. Mm, yes. So if you're booking, um, booking like an Airbnb or a hotel, especially in Europe, only 10% of the homes in Europe have air conditioning, whereas in the United States, it's 90%. So we're used to like in the summertime walking into a building and freezing. That's not the case in other countries. So make sure if you're, you're picking a place that tends to get really hot, Spain, Italy, wherever, yeah. um, that you're booking a place that does say it includes air conditioning. That's good advice. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. A lot of places in, you know, even in, you know, you would think a country like Italy, all the modern yeah. amenities, all the comforts of home, but you're right. A lot of places don't have AC there. They don't. And speaking of that, look, let's talk a little bit about water. Mm -hmm. So like you're an infectious disease, you know that like certain places you can't drink the water. Right. So for example, if I go to India, I was born and raised in the United States. Like I cannot drink their local water, I will get sick. Same thing, I can't eat their street food. I mean, those are the things that you have to be careful of. Same thing if we go to Mexico. So just making sure that you're not drinking the local water, making sure that um, sometimes fruits and vegetables are kind of off, off limits unless you're washing it with your bottled water. So making sure you get bottled water. Um, what else? Oh, ice cream. If it's, if it's a stored ice cream, I think it's fine. But if it's like a homemade ice cream with their water, yeah, I'd be careful with that. Those are some things that you can get sick with. Um, what else do you think with water? No, I think that you're, you're hitting all the high points. And I would go back to the conversation I had with Fishbane a few years ago. You know, I think there's a spectrum of, of uh, how risk averse an individual is. And it may have to do with, you know, how delicate their stomach is. It may yeah. have to do with whether they have underlying medical conditions. I will also self-disclose I'm probably not as good about what I eat when I'm on vacation or what I avoid when I'm eat on vacation. street foods. I don't absolutely you? get the street food. I'm <laughs> cra I'm crazy, but <laughs> but I will also concede that I I try to do it as smart as I can. And mm -hmm. I think you're making a great point, right? You know, there, you can ask if you're going to stay at a hotel or at a resort. Is the water here potable? If you don't know, err on the side of caution. Yes. Right. Stick to bottled water. Avoid ice in your glass if you can help it. And you know, there's a lot of little tricks of the trade you can do for that. So we were talking about you, I mean, you mentioned Peru. So let's just talk a little bit about things like people who are maybe traveling to Colorado or um, to the Alps or to Peru, altitude sickness. Yeah. Um, a little bit about that. So if you know that you're traveling to a place that is of higher altitude, so we're talking like 8,000 uh, feet above sea level. So you want to kind of stay somewhere for at least one to two days to get acclimated to that. Um, to that altitude uh, before ascending higher up. Now, if you know that you're going on a big hiking trip like that, 
Um, it's not a bad idea to talk to your doctor about maybe getting something for altitude sickness. I think acetazolamide That's is, right. is the, the medication. There might be others out, but yep. altitude sickness is a thing. No, that's a great uh, great advice. And, and actually, that's something we researched as well. If, if we were going to go to visit Peru, visit Machu Picchu, absolutely fly in, stay for a couple of days, acclimate. A lot of these places, especially if you're planning to do excursions, hikes or anything of that sort, they will require that mm -hmm. you stay in the country for you know at least a couple of days before you do anything like that because you're potentially a risk right if you just you know land in you know cusco and jump on a bus and head out for machu picchu what? you, you could, don't do that yeah you, you could get sick pretty bad <laughs> you don't want to do that trust me all right another kind of sickness so we're talking all this like international traveling airplane traveling but let's talk a little bit about driving um some people get motion sickness and that can happen if you're on a cruise or a boat or even like if you're driving a car I myself, I always get car sick. So I have to sit in the front seat of the car. Yeah. Sometimes I have to have the window down and I have to look straight. If I'm looking at my phone, I get, I feel more sick. So motion sickness is a thing. I think also if you go on a cruise and you tend to get motion sickness and you're not sure if you're going to, like a lot of people have never been on one and they're like, I'm going for the first time. You know, what, what do I do? You can talk to your doctor about getting, you know, maybe a scopolamine patch or, or taking something to help you with that motion sickness. Good advice. I, with something we have in common because I get it too. And yeah. I, it's something I didn't even realize I had until I was probably in my mid thirties. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we, when I was traveling, I don't remember where I was. I was in the back of a, of a sprinter van cruising around the countryside. Oh, no. oh it was bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's like, and I, 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 you know, what I say is that a lot of the symptoms for everything that we talked about, motion sickness, heat exhaustion, altitude sickness, it's all the same. It's that nausea, vomiting, headache, um, but one thing that's helpful, this is kind of like just a, a Dr. Shah Jahan tip. Um, ginger is very helpful for any kind of motion sickness or nausea vomiting. So when I travel, I always keep a little bit of ginger with me because you never know where you're at and when it's going to hit. Um, so that's just a, a little side tip bit, you know, take your ginger. What else do you put in your, uh, your, your travel kit when you are going places? Do you have any other little hacks? Yeah. So I always bring uh, bacitracin or neosporin, like a, some kind of um, antibacterial ointment. Yeah, me too. Um, alcohol, like small alcohol pads. I always bring Band-Aids, bug spray. Um, I do do the bug spray with DEET uh, because, yeah, um, you know, if you are traveling somewhere and they've got like various viruses, uh, you know, whatever ticks those things like you just want to make sure it actually works like the mosquitoes in india are like no joke like it's like i mean you could just be spraying bug spray at them and they're still like coming at you like it's 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 it's, <laughs> it's a crazy thing um and we, we don't realize how many um diseases these mosquitoes do carry and then different places they have different things so i think i put those things in there um uh, what else oh hydrocortisone for those mosquito bites yep i got that too what else do you put you know, I, depending where I'm going, I might even pack a short course of antibiotics, Okay. you know, like azithromycin or something of that sort. If I do get a case of traveler's diarrhea, now I, I got to caution this, you know, if you go to your doctor and you say, I want antibiotics for traveler's diarrhea, you're not going to get it. Right. A good doctor is going <laughs> to say that you really shouldn't take an antibiotic for traveler's diarrhea. Right. It's usually going to just work itself out on its own. But I've found in my experience, you know, I, I like to have that. It's like my little security blanket. 
in case I do come down with something and it doesn't get better in a day or so, I, I just like to have the ability to get that. So I think the thing is, especially for women, if you get a lot of UTIs mm -hmm. and you know that you get UTIs and your, you know, your doctor knows that you get UTIs, it's very reasonable to say, hey, I'm going abroad. I don't know what kind of antibiotics they might have there or how I'm going to see a doctor. Can I get a course for you know, a Cipro or whatever it is for UTIs? I think that that's very reasonable. And then also Diflucan for people that get yeast infections post um, antibiotics, that's pretty reasonable to ask for too. Yeah. And and if, if I know someone's traveling, um, I'll obviously recommend that they take a supply of their own medication with them. And I will tell them to take additional supply. Don't just, you know, cut it right to the day. You never know when you might have a delay. You never know when you might get stuck in an airport for an extra day or two and mm. you don't want to run out of medication. A lot of countries have pharmacies. You can get medications over the counter that you might need a prescription for in the U.S., but don't count on it. Yeah. Right? Just bring your own. Uh, it's it's safer that way. I think the other thing I bring, which might be you know, TMI, is like uh, wet wipes. I yeah. bring wet wipes with me and hand sanitizer. Wet wipes because a lot of times you might go to like a public restroom and they don't have toilet paper. Sure. No, you're kind of like, uh, or even, you know, if you're hiking, eh, they don't have toilet paper. So keeping wet wipes. I think also um, hand sanitizer is a good thing to have with you as well. Sunscreen. Definitely sunscreen. And I would also comment that bug spray and sunscreen, as, as good as they are to have when you're traveling places, are often things that can be difficult to find when you get to your destination, depending yeah. where you're at. Or it, they could charge you a fortune for them. You know, right. buying sunscreen in the Caribbean is a lot more expensive than buying a small tube of sunscreen here in right. Michigan. Absolutely. Yeah. Can we go back to cruises for a second? Yeah. Because I think you brought up cruises, and I, I want to just inject some of my sentiments here. Um, I got to be honest, I don't love cruises, <laughs> right? I, you don't yeah. love the buffets? <laughs> just, you know, just based on what I do for a living, I don't love cruises. And, and there was actually a minute there when, you know, the CDC was was kind of firmly saying, like, hey, guys, don't go on cruises. I that, thought they were going to, like, it was the end of cruises, yeah, actually, yeah, the pandemic. I, yeah, well, that was, you know, clearly in the height of COVID. And, and absolutely at the time, it was not wise to be on a, on a cruise ship. Things have changed. I think cruise travel is more safe now. But I still think there's a few things that should go without saying. One, if you're sick, Please don't go on a cruise. Yeah, don't go anywhere. The, yeah, don't go anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> Stay at home. You know, but 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 particularly particularly on a cruise, I think what you're going to find is that things tend to move more quickly through a cruise ship than they would if you're out in an open air environment. Um, I think that you should also, if you're going on a cruise, be aware of the itinerary. Um, don't just assume that they're going to have everything sort of dotted for you. Certain countries that you visit along the way might have specific needs or travel requirements. So you want to make sure that you, you've checked those boxes before you go certain places. And I do think you mentioned seasickness and um, some things you can do to mitigate that as well. Let's quickly talk about like air travel, things like jet lag and, and things to be careful for in an airplane. So one of the things is, okay, pregnancy, you know, people want to go on their baby moon, people want to travel and, and see people, but uh, most airlines, at least domestically, you cannot travel if you're 36 weeks pregnant. So you want to get that travel in beforehand. International airlines, it depends on the airline. So make sure you check. So just because in the States it's 36 weeks and you're on your 34th week and you think you're going somewhere, you might not be able to make it back. So be careful with that. The other thing is we want to be careful for like DVTs if it's a long DVTs are deep vein thrombosis, like a blood clot. 
you want to make sure that you don't, um, if you're on a really long trip, you want to stand up, walk a little bit, do those calf stretches exercises. And people might think like, okay, you know, I, I don't have a risk for having a DVT, but a lot of people have a risk for that. So pregnancy is one. Mm -hmm. If you're on birth control, if you're obese, if you recently had surgery, if you had chemotherapy, um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, if you have a family history of it, I mean, a lot of people can have a risk, especially on a long trip. So whether it's a car ride, a long car ride, um, or a long plane ride, those are some things that you might, um, be looking for. Yeah. That's great advice. The other thing I wanted to bring up because I do a lot of international traveling is jet lag. So jet lag, a lot of people say, this is what they say. Do you, do you have any tips for this? Cause yes. I would love to hear them. Okay. So this, this is the thing that, okay. People say for every hour of different time zone you need a day i've heard this that's not going to happen for me okay i right. get two weeks vacation <laughs> maybe a week vacation if i'm traveling to italy it's not going to take me eight days to adjust to the time zone like i'm just not doing that so some of the things that you might want to do is one avoid alcohol i know it's fun to like you know have some alcohol on the airplane um, but it can disrupt your sleep patterns so you want to avoid that you want to stay hydrated you want to have small meals and then if you're going west you want to go to bed at least one or two hours before your normal time, a couple days before your flight. And and also, if you're going east, you want to go to bed a couple of hours earlier. Did I say that right? West is a couple hours later, and east is a couple hours earlier. Okay. And then the other thing that's very helpful to me is melatonin. Yes. Talk about that. So, so melatonin, it's a natural herb. It's over the counter. And basically what it does is it it tells your body that it's time to sleep. So you have your circadian rhythm. The reason you get jet lag is it gets all messed up. And so it kind of helps you get back into the rhythm of like, it's nighttime, it's time to sleep. So if you're on the airplane, you sometimes notice they turn all the lights off and you're like, we just got on, what's going on? They're trying to get you to sleep at a certain time, wake at a certain time. And so melatonin is helpful for when I, let's say, I do land at a destination and I just can't sleep because I'm like, it's daytime in the States. I might take some melatonin like an hour before I go to bed to try to help me sleep. And then the other thing is power naps. So I took this trip to, so last time I went to, not the last time, the time before I went, I went to India. It was terrible. Every day at 2 p.m., I just started falling asleep like wherever I was because of the time difference. And it really ruined my trip because I was only there for, for about a week and a half. So this time I stopped in Dubai and it's a long trip. But as soon as I landed, it was daytime there. And even though I was really tired, I'm like, I'm going to just keep powering through. So I just planned activities, did what I needed to do, took maybe a 15, 20 minute nap in between. Um, and I really suggest that you don't take like, don't land somewhere when it's daytime and sleep for six hours. It's not going to help you. So you want to just try to be on the same time zone as the place that you land. Maybe go to bed a little earlier. You might crash. But those are some things that have helped me. No, that's good advice. And, and I think the melatonin thing is is very interesting. Something I've tried to varying degrees of success. I think the one thing you pointed out is don't expect melatonin to be a sleep aid. No. It's really just telling you, like like you said, Asha, it's really just telling you when it's time to go to sleep. It's like a it's like a sort of a trigger, if you will, um, to help jolt your circadian rhythm back closer to where it belongs. I, I want to just spend one or two seconds if you have any um, final thoughts about this, because I know travel is important to you. It's important to me. After everything that we've kind of collectively been through as a society, uh, for the past few years. Talk about some of the other benefits of traveling. Why is it important to travel? You know, all the risks aside and all the things we talked about today about all the things that might go wrong, 
Why should we be traveling? Is it good for us? It's 100% good for you. So people, uh, Americans tend not to take their full vacation time um, compared to uh, people in other countries. I think sometimes vacations can seem overwhelming. You have to plan it and you're like, oh, it's too much to do. But 100%, once you're out there and you're gone and you're away from your daily grind and your routine, there is something very therapeutic about that. Um, experiencing different cultures, yes. learning different languages, hearing different accents in different languages, or even just like the difference between going from Michigan to the South. I mean, there are things that can really help not only rejuvenate your soul, relaxation, mental health benefits, anxiety, depression, but also cognitively, like learning new things helps your brain function. So uh, traveling is like an easy way of doing all of the above. I think one last thing I want to say is many people tend not to travel because they don't have anyone to go with. Yeah. They'll say, oh, I can't, my friends aren't off at the same time I am, or I don't have a significant other, or like my kids, well, spouse, whatever. I solo travel a lot, and it's been life-changing. It's amazing. There's a lot of websites about solo female travelers, safety tips, things to do because people are afraid, like, I'm by myself. What am I going to do? I've traveled to tons of places by myself. And I will tell you, the first time it was kind of, like, intimidating and scary. But it is kind of like a thrill. And you pat yourself on the back. And you're like, I did something outside of my comfort zone. I got to see everything I wanted to see. Everything was on my timeline. I really encourage you that if if you are not traveling because you think you have nobody to go with, try a solo trip. My first solo trip was to California. So it wasn't like I was like going, you know, across the world. But just do a solo trip for yourself. It is kind of liberating and you will reap the benefits of travel. That's great advice. I think that's about all the information we have time for today. Um, Asha, always great to be with you. Always great to be with you too. When's your next <laughs> trip? Where are you going? Um, Utah uh, in October. Okay, so well, well, it's a good time to go. Yep, it's going to be hopefully a little cooler and a little uh, yeah, less all that. So. Yeah, Utah's great. What about you? I'm going to France, Germany, Switzerland. Wow. And Italy. Trip of a lifetime. Good yep. for you. Happening. We'll exchange notes later. All right, I want to thank you all for listening, and I'm going to leave you today with this healthy thought. Travel is something many of us have missed during the COVID pandemic. And now that things are starting to look and feel a little bit closer to normal, don't be afraid to get out and see the world. But remember to do it safely. Remember to check the latest travel recommendations for your destination with the CDC and the U.S. State Department. Check with your primary care physician or travel health clinic if you need vaccinations or medications for travel. And most of all, be safe and have fun. <laughs>